This is the word of the Lord from Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All right. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing? Good. Uh, I'm really, really excited to be here with you all. Uh, my name is Reese. I'm the newest pastor here on Staff at Sound City. And if you are new, or I just haven't had the chance to meet you and shake your hand yet, right after the service, I'll be hanging out over there, and I would love to meet you. Love to shake your hand, get to know your name. Um, I'll forget it at least 10 times, uh, but you got to start somewhere. Uh, I've said this in a few different venues, but I just want to say thank you again for how hospitable you as a church family have um, welcomed me, my wife Meredith, and our three kids into this community over the last month or so that we've been around. We felt really, really welcomed, and uh, we're really thankful for that. And it shows a lot just about the heart of this church uh, for those who are newer, coming in to experience community and life together with with God. So let me say a quick prayer, and then we're going to jump in. Lord, I thank you for the chance that we have to come together and worship your holy name as we just sung about. God, I thank you for each and every person here in this room and what you are doing actively in our stories, wherever we are in our spiritual journey. Whether we're here and we've been walking with you for years and years, or whether we're here and we're not even sure what we think about you and the place that you have in our life. God, wherever we are, we thank you that we get to come together Uh, to be with one another and hear uh, you um, speaking to us through your word, um, through the music, through one another. God, I thank you. I feel just really grateful and humble to be here with this people and to be folded into this family of God. And I'm eager and excited for what you're going to do in the months and the years to come in and through Sound City Bible Church, Lord. Bless us now as we open your word. Do something in us and through us that we cannot do on our own. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, uh, when I was seven years old, uh, I was out to eat at a restaurant chain in Texas called the Black IP one night. Has anyone ever heard of the Black IP? Okay, Michelle. <laughs> one. Uh, it wasn't that great of a restaurant. It uh, went out of business a few years ago, but we like to go there a lot whenever uh, we lived in Houston. So we were at the Black IP having a nice meal when all of a sudden my parents stopped talking 
they got really quiet and they started kind of peering out from the side of the booth that we were sitting in. Uh, but it wasn't just them because the whole room that was uh, really loud just moments before with conversation went quiet. I didn't know what was happening. And so as a seven-year-old, I, I tapped my mom's shoulder and asked, you know, for some explanation. And she looked at me with this big grin on her face and she said, it's Tom Hanks. <laughs> Tom Hanks, you know, Woody from Toy Story, he's here eating at our Black IP. Being seven years old, I didn't know who that was, but I had seen Toy Story, and so I started looking for a cowboy hat and boots. <laughs> Nowhere to be found. But afterwards, after Tom apparently had left the building, my mom uh, explained a little bit more what had gone on, and it really made an impression on me, even as a seven-year-old, because ever since then, I have had this fascination with Tom Hanks. I have seen almost every movie that he's ever uh, acted in many times for a lot of them. Uh, I've listened to multiple biographies about his life. I know that he was born in Concord, California, and that he has a strange obsession with old vintage typewriters. In fact, this past year when we were visiting uh, Washington, we went kayaking on Lake Union and we got to see where Sleepless in Seattle was filmed. It was amazing, one of the highlights of my trip. But ever since that day, as a seven-year-old, I have grown to know a lot about this man. However, if you were to ask me after the service, what is Tom, Lang- Tom Hanks? What's he really like? You know, what, how does he make you feel whenever you're hanging out with him? What are you most grateful for about Tom? I would have no answer at all to any of those questions. Because even though I know a lot about Tom Hanks, I know nothing about him personally. I know him from afar. I know him from a distance. I have a head full of facts about him, but I have never experienced him as a person. Now, the reason I share that with you, my Tom Hanks story, is because if we are not careful as followers of Jesus, we can end up relating to God in a very similar way. It is very possible, even as genuine believers, to know a lot about God, but to know very little of God in an up-close and personal way. See, to know about God is to relate to him from afar, to uh, almost see him as a, as a concept to be studied or dissected, but to know God is to be up close and personal with him, like you would be with a best friend. To know about God is to be well-versed in a range of theological topics, to have a head full of scripture about who he is, but to know God is to experience who he is in day-to-day life. They're not the same thing. Knowing about God and knowing God is as different as me reading a biography about Tom Hanks and sitting down for a long meal with him as a friend. They're radically different. In fact, as you, as you probably know, one of the four core values of us as a church at Sound City is enjoying God, not just studying him, not just um, uh, learning about him, but enjoying him, walking with him in a, in a dynamic relationship through the ups and downs of life. As a church, we value knowing God, not just knowing about him. 
And so with that kind of as our true north, as our aim, we're, we're kicking off a series, like we mentioned this morning, for seven weeks that we're calling Draw Near. And our hope for this season is that it will equip us as followers of Jesus with some practical uh, tools to cultivate deeper intimacy with our Savior. The question that we're going to be looking at for the, all seven of these weeks is how do we draw near to the God who has already drawn near to us. Uh, Hebrews 4.16, it says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. But what's that look like? Right, what's that look like for you? Whether you're a working professional or maybe you're a, a stay-at-home parent, married, single, a, a student, Wherever you are in your life, what does that look like to draw near to the God who has drawn near to us wherever you are in your spiritual journey? Right, you might be here and you might be uh, walking closer with God than you ever have in your entire life. If that's where you're at, praise the Lord. I hope that this series encourages you to continue down that path and maybe bring a few people along with you. But if you're here, and maybe you've been in, in church for a number of years, you've been following Jesus for quite some time, but your soul maybe feels dry. Maybe you're, you're weary, burdened by life, and you're wondering, okay, is this really all that there is to life with God? If that's you, my prayer is that you would begin to sense God in this season as a church, drawing you to himself into greater depths of relationship with him than maybe you've been in a while. Each week of the series, we're going to be looking at one psalm, seven altogether, one each week. And the reason why is because throughout church history, the psalms have been the book that God's people have gone to time and time again to learn what it means to walk close with the Lord. And so we're going to look at one each week. And this morning, we're beginning with the psalm we just heard read, Psalm 16, and it's a, a good place to start because this uh, psalm is going to show us why God is worth drawing near to in the first place. Because if you're not convinced of that, if you're anything like me, you're not going to do anything with it. Right? There's plenty to do in this life, and so why draw near to God rather than to the millions of other things that we're um, tempted to draw near to instead? Why is he worth pursuing. Well, in this psalm, we're going to see uh, three things in particular, at least three reasons why drawing near to Yahweh is the most important thing that you and I could commit our lives to. So let's look at Psalm 16. And the first thing that we see is that in God's presence, in his alone, there is fullness of joy. Right, fullness of joy. David uh, starts this psalm out in verse two. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And then he ends it in verse 11 with, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is a psalm framed by David's deep satisfaction in God's presence, but I, I want you to see that this uh, joy that's spilling over into the pages here is a result of a choice that David has made. At verse 5 and 6, he says, the Lord is my chosen portion 
in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in uh, pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, when David uses this language here of uh, my portion, my, my cup, my inheritance, he's actually referencing a story uh, whenever Israel first came into the land of Canaan and God began to divide it up into different uh, plots for the 12 tribes. And if you remember in that story, God draws these boundary lines and assigns them to each tribe. But whenever he comes to Aaron, the head of the tribe of Levi, here's what he says to Aaron. He says, you shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have any portion among them, for I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. And in this psalm, David is identifying himself with the tribe of Levi. He says, as Israel's king, the whole world is before me. I have it all and I can have more of whatever I wanted. Wealth, land, relationship, influence. And yet, despite all of that, God, you are the one that I am choosing to draw near to. These things over here, they're not bad. There's good in them. But compared to you, they are not good at all. You're the fountain of all real joy. You are the wellspring of all real pleasure. So I have chosen to move towards you. The joy that frames this psalm and runs through it is the result of David's choice to make God his highest good. And if you ask, okay, well, how did David come to make that choice? That's a hard choice to make. We all are having to make that choice in life. Where do I draw near? Here, there, over there? But David has learned an important lesson somewhere along his journey that I think enables him to make this choice. And the lesson is in verse four. Look at it with me. David says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. See, at that time, as you probably know, Yahweh was not the only God uh, in the culture, there were many other pagan gods that you could worship. But what David says here is that any god that you draw near to in life, if it is not Yahweh, will end up actually taking your life away. Because they will take more than they give. He says these, these lowercase g gods, they demand drink offerings of blood. You see that in verse four? Uh, blood in that time, as you probably know, is a universal symbol for one's very life. And David warns us, if you run to these gods, they will demand everything. They'll demand your life, but they will give you nothing back. Their worshipers run to them looking for joy, but they leave with their sorrows multiplied. They leave with tears. Now, when you hear that, you might think, okay, well, good thing we're not pagans anymore, right? I don't have uh, statues of Baal on my nighttime stand asking me to give offerings of blood. But I hope you see, I hope we know that anytime we make something besides Yahweh, the thing that we build our life on, our ultimate good, whatever that thing is, it inevitably begins to operate in your life like the pagan gods of old operated in the lives of their worshipers. 
See, whether you're religious or not, all of us are building our life on something. Right? All of us are tapping into meaning through something. We are all running somewhere for joy, but if that something is not the one true God, whatever it is will begin to demand things of you. It will take your life away. So for example, if you build your life on your career, if that's what, where you find your joy, it will require you to work longer and longer hours, It will chain you to your computer or your cell phone when you should be present with your family and friends. It'll burn you out like we just sung. It will work your fingers to the bone. And even if after all that sacrifice, you you do get the promotion, you do knock that presentation out of the park, you know that that joy will go away as quickly as the, the morning fog. Right? As soon as that new email notification pops up with the latest fire, you got to Uh, put out, all of it will disappear. It's a lowercase g God, demanding a lot and giving very little in return. Or let's say your reputation is your God. What others think uh, think about you, that that's where you go for joy, it'll take your uniqueness away. It'll take your personality away because you'll always try to be conforming instead of being the person that God created uniquely to be you'll have to become someone else. You won't be free. You'll always have to be maintaining, always have to um, convince that group that's accepted you that you're worth keeping around and you won't be able to rest, right? We might not call it a God, but that's what they are. They're lowercase g gods. Uh, David Foster Wallace, he was a a famous uh, novelist and he gave a commencement speech at Kenyon College, and he was a a devout atheist, but toward the very end of his life, here's what he said. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And one of the reasons for choosing some sort of a God is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship your intellect, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. See, what David knew, what he learned, and what David Foster Wallace knew is that everybody draws near to something. And whatever that something is, it is your functional God. But David says Yahweh is the only God that when you draw near to him will give more than he takes. And one of the things that I think you and me have to learn, if we are ever going to make God our highest good and draw near to him with our whole heart, we have to know our hearts We have to know what are those lowercase g gods that when we're not running to Yahweh, we end up running to. And then we have to think, what are the sorrows that that God is going to pull out of me? Because it will. So that's the first thing that we see. Why draw near to God? Because only Yahweh brings joy. In his presence, there's fullness of joy and life forevermore. But then second, we see that as we draw near, we don't just tap into that joy, we also receive a guidance 
through this life. In verse 7 and 8, here's what David says. He says, I I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Now, when when David calls God his counselor here, he's thinking of at least a couple of things. And the the first is uh, the, the scriptures, God's word. He's recognizing that uh, God guides us in a very personal way as we engage in the truth of his revelation. Psalm 119, it says that your word, O God, is like a a lamp to my feet. It's a, a light unto my path. And the more that we draw near to him through the scriptures, we grow in our ability to navigate this world with wisdom. And we're gonna talk actually a little bit more, or a lot more about that here in a a few weeks, but David sees God here not only, I think, as someone that guides his story in a general way, but as someone that uh, guides him in a very personal way. And the reason I say that is because in verse five, David has this amazing little line. He says, God, you hold my lot. Right, you hold my lot. And that means that he holds each and every one of your lots as well. Now, what's that mean? Well, well, the word for lot here, it literally means a rock that at that time you would throw to make a decision. Just kind of like today we will flip a coin. What you would do is you would take a rock, you'd throw it on the ground, and if it landed on that side, then this would happen. If it landed on the other side, then the other thing would happen. It's where the expression of casting lots came from. And David says at the end of the day, I can plan I can, uh, you know, strategize, but at the end of the day, God is the one that holds my lot, right? He is the one that has written my story from beginning to end. The stone that determines whether my path goes this way or that way is in the hands of the Lord. Or to say it another way, the first page of your story and the last page of your story, God has already written And no page gets put into it unless it passes through his loving hands. And in seasons of uncertainty, or when you feel like your life is maybe wasting your way, or maybe you're stuck in a chapter that you never wanted to be in, that is an amazing source of comfort for the children of God. This past summer, uh, we went on a family vacation. And it was the first time that we all flew, we flew with all three of our kids. And while two of our kids were really excited for the plane ride, one of them uh, was not so sure because they are much more of a planner. They like to know everything that's going to happen before it happens. And so after an early morning of checking our baggage in and finding the, the terminal and all the chaos that comes with that, they were feeling very overwhelmed so that whenever the plane began to board, they were frozen. They did not want to get on the plane. And so I went over to this particular child and I said, okay, hey, what, what's, what's going on? And they explained a little bit that they were just, they, they felt overwhelmed by everything that had happened already. And so as the final passengers were getting onto the plane, we were coming down to the wire. We weren't sure if we were going to, you know, to be able to go on this trip. This child looked up to me as they realized the plane's about to take off. And mom and the other siblings are on the plane. 
And they asked, Dad, are you going to leave me? And being a halfway decent father, of course, I got down on my knees and I said, look at me. Of course I'm not going to leave you. I said, and Dad knows every single step of this journey from one door to our destination. I know exactly what is about to happen. And if you stay with me, you are going to be okay. And so she took a few deep breaths and then we got on the plane together and we got to go on our vacation. Now, what changed Did I lay out every single step of the journey for this child? No, we did not have time. The plane was about to take off. But instead, they remembered that my father is with me. And even though I have no idea what is ahead, he does. And I trust him. And that's what David said God does for us in our stories. He wants to journey with you at your side through the twists and turns of life. He is there leaning down, offering his hand to show us the way. The problem is, though, if you're like me, sometimes when we get overwhelmed, we take things into our own hands, right? We go to Google, we figure out what's going on, we ask ChatGPT, we pick up the latest self-help book, or we just work harder thinking that we can hack the system and figure it out on our own. But that would be like if my kid in that moment said, hey, dad, I know you're, you're trying to engage with me here, but I got to figure out how to get onto this plane. And they took off into the airport to try to find some help. All the while, the God who holds my lot in his hands, that holds your lot in his hands is saying, come with your questions, come with your uncertainty, set me at your right hand like David did and you will be okay. I will be your guide. So why draw near to God? Because in his presence, church, there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there is guidance through this life that is often difficult. But then finally, we see here at the end of the psalm, not only is that true, but finally, in God's presence, there is refuge from death. Right, there's refuge from death. Or to be even more precise to what's going on here, there's refuge from the, the fear of death, the shadow of death. In verse 9 and 10, David says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh, meaning my, my physical body, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, it's hard for us to appreciate just how radical these verses would have been to David's original audience at the time that he wrote this, because at this period in the the revelation of God, the people of Israel did not have a developed theology about what happened whenever you and I died. In fact, uh, most scholars, very conservative scholars, will say that the majority of God's people uh, didn't even believe that there was an afterlife, that the righteous and the unrighteous went into the grave and that um, the only thing that endured was your legacy of how you lived your life. And yet David here, he says, despite that, he says, my friendship with God is so strong 
It's so real that I can't possibly believe he will abandon me to the grave when I come to that part of my story. There's no way that he is going to let death have the last word. It really is amazing. This is a man who found refuge from the fear of death, not because he had a watertight theological system, but because his walk with God was so real, so dynamic that it gave him the confidence that he needed. And yet, church, we, thousands of years later, whereas their theology was kind of in a seedling form, we have an assurance that David did not have. See, how do you know, Christian, that as Someone that follows Jesus, when you come to the end of your life, that the grave will not have the last word. How do we know that God will not abandon us to our death? Well, if you fast forward hundreds of years from when David wrote this to Acts 2, Peter is preaching the first ever sermon after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And guess what text he preaches on? He preaches on Psalm 16. And in his first sermon, he quotes verses 8 through 11 in its entirety from this psalm, and then he makes this comment. He says, being therefore a prophet, talking about David, he says, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. So here's what Peter is saying. Peter's saying that while David in this psalm was declaring his own confidence that God would deliver him from death, he was simultaneously, somehow through the power of the Spirit, he was looking ahead and prophesying at the same time about the ultimate Holy One who would make his deliverance possible. And now Peter, he looks back on David's word in this psalm and he says, the one that David was prophesying about was Jesus, the Messiah. And it's through him that David believed, I will be rescued from death as well. In other words, he believed in a future holy one that would come and open a door out of the grave for him and all of the people of God. And so the question is, how did Jesus do that? How did the Messiah defeat the grave? Only one way, church. Jesus left the refuge of God so that you and I could make God our refuge. Jesus left the side of his father so that you and I could know that his father will never leave our side in life or in death. See, what's interesting about this psalm is that Jesus could have written it. Go back and read it. This is something that he could have written. Think about it. In his life, no one ever knew or drew near to God like Jesus did. Even David went astray at times, but Jesus always found his joy in his father's presence. Jesus never took a step outside of the guidance of God. And yet at the end of his life, when he needed the refuge of God's presence more than ever before, Jesus was left exposed. He was left vulnerable. 
David says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And yet at the end of his life, when Jesus cried out, there was no answer. My God, why have you forsaken me? And the heavens were quiet. David says, because you are at my right hand, I will never be shaken. But on the cross, Jesus was shaken. Do you see him there? Calm, collected, put together? No, he's being torn apart. He's being ravaged. The ultimate holy one of God the deserved joy at his, at his father's side is experiencing the grief of our idolatry. Remember, David says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Well, that's all of us. All of us have run after lowercase g gods, and as a result, the tsunami of death is coming for this world, and yet Jesus steps in front, and he becomes our refuge. His body is battered. His body is bruised. He is crushed so that you and I can find protection in our Father. He left the right hand of God, church, so that we could draw near to God with confidence, so that we could run to the Father's side and know that instead of judgment, we would find joy forevermore. Instead of being turned away, we would find guidance through life. Instead of pouring our life out to death, we would experience life forevermore in his presence. And when that really sinks in, when that really takes a hold of our hearts, it makes us want to draw near to him. Right? If God did that and sent his son, if Jesus did that for us, how could we ever doubt that he wants to commune with us? He wants to sit at the table and walk with us through life. Right? Do you see the love of the father for you? Do you see what Jesus was willing to do so that we could run to his throne with confidence? God doesn't want to just be someone that we know a lot about. He wants to be someone that we know, that we walk with, that we draw our strength from, that we draw our life from. He has drawn near to us. And so the question is, will we Draw near to him. That's, that's the invitation of this series, of this season that we want to step into as a, as a church. Uh, like we said, today is the beginning of, of seven weeks that will read us, or lead us right up until Holy Week. And my uh, invitation for us is that over this time, we would commit to drawing near to God individually, but also as a community to cultivate our intimacy with him even more. And to be clear, just so that we understand what we're saying, when we say uh, that, we're not saying that we are, by drawing near to God, that we're trying to earn anything from him, right? We're not. Rather, we are trying to enjoy the things that have already been earned by Christ for us, right? All the gifts that we're talking about, they are ours. They're there, and we uh, don't have to earn them anymore. They've been purchased by the blood of Christ. So this is not a matter of getting something that we do not have. It is a matter of 
tapping into something that has already been gotten for us, already been achieved. And so for each of the next remaining weeks in this series, we're going to look at one other psalm and pick up a a tool, an ancient practice that the people of God have used to draw near to God. And my invitation to you this morning is simply that question of will we draw near to the Lord who has already drawn near to God? Again, whether you are walking with him in more intimacy than you've ever had or whether he feels more like an idea to be studied than a person to know. Wherever you are at in the journey, may we be a people committed to enjoying God, not just to studying him, examining him, talking about him, but knowing him, knowing of him, walking with him in intimacy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you that in a world of many lowercase g gods, all of which offer or promise uh, things to us, that you are the only God that who, if we get, if we draw near to, Lord, we have everything our hearts really need to live this life. Lord, we praise you for what you did to make that possible. We thank you for your son and what he sacrificed on our behalf, so that we would not have to sacrifice to you, but could just run to you as a child runs to his parents or her parents. We thank you um, for the gift of your word, for the gift of one another, and it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. All right, church, every uh, week we partake of the Lord's table, where we, we remember what we just talked about, what Jesus did on our behalf so that we could run to him. The only way that we can come to God as our refuge is because Jesus left the side of his father to become that refuge for us. It's only because his body was broken, right? It's only because his blood was poured out that we do not have to pour out our blood in sacrifice to some God. And so today, as we take communion, we remember that. Paul in 1 Corinthians, he gives us these instructions as we uh, prepare our hearts to come to the table. He says, for as I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. So at this point, I want to invite our um, communion servers to come down uh, to the front. And this table, the Lord's table, it's for anyone here who has made God their refuge, that's trusted in the finished work of Jesus 
to bring you back to the Father and to cover your sins. And if you're here and you're not sure what it means to do that, to make the Lord your refuge in this life, then we uh, would ask that you abstain from the table today, but we would love to talk to you and share more about what that uh, looks like. Uh, But if you have made the Lord your shelter, we would invite you in a moment to come down these middle aisles, grab uh, the bread and the juice, and then go back out to your seat. Uh, You can take the wine, it's in the lighter section of the tray, or the juice in the darker section as your conscience allows. But with that, let me pray for the Lord's table, and then you will be welcome to come and receive. God, again, we thank you for the broken body of Jesus. We thank you for the shed blood of our Savior. And as we take and receive uh, the bread and the cup this morning, may it remind us of your body and your blood that you gave for us. We thank you for your sacrifice. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.